the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Welcome to a JJ, the JJ Dillon podcast. I am your co-host, JP John Paz, and with me as always is the star of the show, two-time Wrestling Hall of Famer, the leader of the legendary Four Horsemen, the second greatest manager of all time, a former WWF and WCW executive. He is, of course, James J. Dillon. JJ, how are you doing this evening? John, I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing very, very good, and it's pretty cool to see you back together with Barry and Arn. Very, very cool to see over the weekend. Yeah, yes. I, I you know, really enjoy it when I, when I get to see them spend time with them. Then I realize how much I really value that time and miss when I don't get to spend time with them. So um, I, I'm told that it's, uh, you know, the, more interesting to the fans, but selfishly it's more interesting to me i'm uh been very grown very close to to uh arn over the years and barry uh geez i go back to uh you know like i say he was hauling hall the ring when uh his father uh jack and and murdoch bought the the amarillo territory from the funks and barry was there at the time all in the ring so much wanted to put tights on and get in the ring of which his father would, would hear none of it. And we finally one night, uh, made it happen. And, you know, Jack got glowing reports and it was easier to ask, like I've said many times, easier to ask for forgiveness from Jack than ask for permission to do it. Cause he probably would never have never have agreed. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we talked about that a lot last week with Barry and with his dad, black Jack Mulligan, but this week, on the show, it's going to be all about J.J. leaving at the NWA and heading to the World Wrestling Federation. So, J.J., kind of the first question really is, when you were on your way out of the NWA, was there feelers from Vince as far as, like, there was going to be a landing spot in the WBF if you were to leave the NWA? Well, they they were had to be very careful. And, of course, I... New Vince going back to uh, having worked for his father when I was in college. And um, the timing was such that that um, Crockett, uh, Crockett, if I remember, memory serves me right, Crockett uh, sold the, uh, the business, I believe, to the Turner people at that point. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there was, a, there was a lot of internal 
concern, anxiety about, you know, what that was going to, to, to how it was going to affect each of us individually and collectively with the, with the product. So as it worked out, uh, Terry Garvin had already um, been in contact with Pat Patterson and, and prior to, the, to that point, moved up to New York where he was going to run towns and Terry and I had always, you know, been very close. And, you know, he told me that um, there was definite interest in me up there, but it was one of those deals where they couldn't call me. I would have to call them and and just, uh, okay, and, and I was aware of, the, of the, the politics of all of it and just really waiting for the right time. And then when... Uh, when Turner was selling it, um, then everybody's status was was very much up in the air. And if there was ever a time for me to consider, you know, doing something else, uh, that that was really the motivating thing. And um, I it was around the holidays that year, and uh, Lindsay and I had not married yet, and we were going up to New York to uh, do some shopping prior to the holidays and I was spending a week up there and I was staying at the Marriott Marquis in Manhattan. And uh, Terry told me that, uh, you know, Vince wanted to meet me and he, he, but he, he couldn't call me because of, uh, you know, worrying about somebody with a lawsuit or something. And so if, if, if it was, if we were to meet and have a discussion, it would have to be, um, kept very quiet. So when I went up there, uh, I was in Manhattan. Um, Vince sent a car in to pick me up and took me to his home in Greenwich because he, in other words, nobody in his, his office knew that the two of us were going to meet um, for my protection so that if, you know, word got out or, or everything, you know, we couldn't go to his office or, or n no uh, arrangements were made. Just the only one that really knew was his driver who uh, he had great uh, confidence in his, you know, being able to be confidential about everything. And then that's, that's how it played out. I went up to New York and then sent a car in. I went to the house and I remember when I got there, uh, he had been doing interviews and I, I was there probably 20 minutes before he arrived. He came in, apologized for keeping me waiting. And I told him, Hey, no, no, I, you know, I had no agenda today and, um, no big deal. And Vince hadn't even stopped to, to remove his makeup. And, and that was, that was how it all took place. And so it was, uh, several hours for, for us to get to know each other. And again, he wanted me to meet him there so that no one in his office knew about it. And he did that for my protection so that, that no one in Atlanta would know that we talked and, and um, you know, not, not cause any political problems. And uh, basically, uh, after a lengthy conversation, he made it clear that um, he had great interest in me because of my reputation for being a detailed person. And that was an area where he felt he needed needed that somebody with that strength uh, in his office. And uh, he 
he made it clear that uh, he wasn't thinking of me as being uh, an on-air talent, which was fine with me. Uh, you know, I'm I'm at that point in my 40s, and uh, it wasn't a question of me, you know, wanting to 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 keep uh, you know keep on the screen. And um, the only thing I as I said to him as we went on that I had had. I'd done very well financially in Atlanta and realized that at some point I couldn't be uh, an on-air talent and that that was really where, you know, the money was. Uh, and so I didn't want to take a big step back financially. And uh, they they were able to work out something in terms of an offer that um, that, that that really didn't become an issue. And I told him I just wanted overnight to think about it. Lindsay was up there with me because we were going to go shopping. And and um, I said, you know, this is a great opportunity. A lot of people, uh, you know, dream that, that they're going to get an opportunity to, to eventually go to New York or hope they do. And now here it was. And it was it, all I had to do was uh, was agree to it. And Vince wanted to, you know, he wanted to know, you know, pretty much right away. And so the next morning I said, you know, I'm ready to come on board. And this was like November. And he gave me a, uh, a starting date, I think, around the 1st of February. And I wanted to go back and, and give reasonable notice uh, to the people in Atlanta rather than just walk out on the spot. And so it was basically the end of my career uh, as an on-air uh, face and knowing that I was going to go in a, in a different, uh, capacity to work with Vince. And, um, I, I just felt that this was a great opportunity and it wasn't really a big, big decision on my part to agree to, to go for it. And as it worked out, uh, I was there for you know, seven, eight years. Now, as far as this meeting and, and everything kind of falling to place, Terry Garvin, the fact that Tully and Arn just left and went to the WBF right before that, does that influence kind of them saying, oh, we, you know, we want you to meet with Vance? Does Tully and Arn kind of say that, you know, push that along as well? Like, hey, you, know, you got us here. Try to get JJ. They, you know, we, we, were, we were, the horseman thing was not just a, a uh, you know, a, a publicity thing. We were we were all very close to each other, genuinely friends. Spent time together when we had days off, and so they had already started up there and and told me said you know your name has been mentioned a lot, and there's definite interest in you and and they didn't even know that uh, you know that was that I'd been having a conversation with uh, with Terry Garvin. So. Um, it just all happened that quick, and I met Vince in his house that one day, and I, you know, I don't even remember what the, the conversation was—just a general get-to-know conversation. And and but he did make it clear that he he was interested in me because of my attention to detail, um, and not as an on-air talent, which I told him that was not an issue with me. That I realized at some point. I didn't feel that there was anything left that I personally felt I needed to prove or wanted to do. And if I had an opportunity to go there and work for 
what was really the 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 top promotion in the profession. That wasn't I wasn't giving up much of anything at that point. Now, if it had been ten years earlier, maybe you know maybe I would have thought that uh, you know that on camera. Uh, would be something that uh, financially that I wouldn't want to give up. But I guess as happened to me so much in, in my career and in my life in general, just the timing of how things happened for me uh, has always worked out well. And this was uh, this was a prime example of that. With Vince meeting you and saying he doesn't want you to be on air, did that strike you as odd? I know you're saying you're you're getting your. 40s at this point you didn't want to you thought you did everything but did you think that was odd on his part considering your history and you know legendary manager manager of the four horsemen did you find that odd at all that that wasn't kind of on the table uh you know i i never really thought of it that way but the answer is definitely no uh again i'm in my 40s and as an on-air talent i i didn't think that there was anything left that I needed to prove, um, as far as being an on-air talent, that just was not a priority for me anymore. And I'm looking at now at the, uh, the, the top promoter in the industry, not only nationally, but globally. And here's somebody who respects me because of, of my reputation, my attention to detail and willing to hire me at, uh, at, very close to what I'd been earning as a, an on-air talent. And so, hmm, can't ask for much more than that. That is great. And to think, though, that Arn is there, Tully's there, you're eventually going to be there, Barry's going to be there. It is crazy that it never crossed Vince's mind. Like, obviously, you don't have Flyer, but it never crossed Vince's mind. Like, you know, maybe I'll put somebody else in there, kind of recreate the Four Horsemen and do his own spin on it. It's just funny, like, when you think back as a fan, you're like, wow, he almost had all the pieces in place to kind of recreate the Horsemen, and he never even, like, thought of it. One thing that I found out very quickly about Vince McMahon, and I, I think I was probably told this by other people in the organization, that Vince... um never wanted to take something else that had been established somewhere else and bringing into his company. He was interested only in the things that he created himself and built himself, which is why sometimes if somebody came in, you know, he would change names, change the persona. Um, he, 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 that was, that was a, a real important sticking point with Vince that, um, that he, 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 it was no, there was never a matter of discussion because it wasn't what I was. He, that was definitely what he wasn't interested in. He, he, he saw other value in me because of my reputation for being able to manage talent behind the scenes. Uh, my personality is such that, uh, you know, I could, I could deal with, uh, somebody that was high strung and be able to work with them because I had, been at the highest level and been successful so it wasn't like uh you know that i had to prove anything and just the fact that vince saw in me um all the qualities that other than being you know an on-air talent and uh which was i guess not not i guess it was flattering that uh that that he recognized uh, 
you know, these other qualities that I had to offer. As far as leaving the NWA and, and, you know, Turner just bought in leaving, they had no problems with you leaving. Were they mad you were gone? Obviously, you said you did it the right way. You gave notice. But were they upset at all that you were leaving? Did they want you to stay? Well, the timing was such that um, Turner was buying it from Crockett. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there was a due diligence process where uh, the, the the people were interviewing everybody with Crockett, um, almost like a you know a job interview. They're buying the company, and you know what were they really buying? I guess uh, you know where there were contracts involved. Uh, they they would have you know absorbed those contracts, but I was uh, I I'd had a contract I think at one point and it ran out and the, having a contract was not not important to me. Uh, my I always had the uh, reputation of my my word is my bond, and it wasn't a matter of having a contract and well this is what the contract says I have to do this is what you have to do. Uh, it was more about the, uh, the personal relationships and being comfortable with the people that I was working with. And I mean, I go back to when I was in college, uh, and started as a, as a referee uh, at that time, they were doing a big show once a month in, in Philadelphia and Vince senior, uh, would come into the big shows once a month. And so I, I got to, to know him uh, pretty well. He knew me on a first-name basis, called me by my first name. And it, I, did, I had a great relationship with him. And I, I didn't uh, have that much to do with Vince Jr. Till, because actually uh, Sr. sold the company to his son. It wasn't like he, he, he gave it to him and course at the time um you know he he had some health issues that i don't think a lot of people knew about including myself and um it just but again i've been so lucky my whole career that as one door closed uh, another door opened right in front of me were you feeling very comfortable about the move given the fact that arn and tully were there would that like kind of make it easier for you uh I can't, that, that was not an, it was not, I mean, it was nice because I know that I would get to see him and I had a genuine friendship with him, but it wasn't like I was looking for, uh, a comfort level. I had known Terry Garvin for a long time, met Pat through Terry and got to be friends with Pat. And, um, I just, I guess it was confidence in my own ability and what I had to offer and again, I'm in my forties and realizing that as an on-air talent, you know, you could continue to do that, especially, uh, not as an in-ring wrestler, but, uh, in other capacities, you know, that age was not, uh, it was, it wasn't like I'd reached the end of the rope. It's the end of the rope. I have to do something because father time, uh, I could have continued to do what I had been doing. Um, for quite some time. So when it was made clear that they were hiring me because of my reputation, my attention to detail, and this is a, 
an area in which which they were lacking. So I made it clear that I had no issue with the fact that that I was not going to be an on-air talent. And it was, you know, uh, uh, I would go once I started with them to, to TVs and things, or I would go to the big shows in the garden, but I would go to TV and, you know, uh, like fans would see me and like not know, you know, what was going on behind the scenes unless they, uh, you know, read certain newsletters or something and they would see me and say, Oh wow, what are you doing here? You know? And, and, um, you know, they were surprised, but it just, I was very comfortable with the situation. Um, and it's just that simple. Just, I was very comfortable with it. Very comfortable with, we're working with Vince. Um, and we had, a, we, we got along well right from day one. When you first initially start, what is the job title? What is the, you know, the job entail? Well, for the first, for the first, they didn't really give me a title and I ended up being a, a senior vice president for talent relations. So they gave me a title, but that wasn't important to me. Uh, I would never raise the issue. Well, you know, I was, it was obvious that I was reporting direct to Vince and direct to Pat. Um, but I wasn't worried about having a title. Uh, I really wasn't. <laughs> and, uh, it, it just, I was very comfortable being there and uh, I had moved to Dallas because Crockett had one point talked about moving to Dallas and he was going to make movies. And, and so they had relocated me from, uh, uh, from Charlotte to Dallas. So I had, I bought a home in Dallas and, um, then said that, um, you know, they would, they would move me pay for my moving and everything and, uh, from Dallas to, uh, to Connecticut. And then, uh, initially I, w I was going to rent, which I did, uh, and take my time to make sure everything was what it appeared to be. And, and then eventually put down roots, which I, which I did. I, I moved to Wilton, which was North of Stanford and really, a, a, a small community, but excellent school system. And, and that's eventually where where I where I bought a home. But they they were uh, when it, when it came time to buying a home, I remember because up there everything was zoned for uh, two acres, and the home values like in Wilton, Connecticut, uh, were very pricey. And I remember uh, Vince bought brought the uh, the chief financial officer in and told him he said. You know, whatever he wants to do, just make it happen. Uh, and I told him initially, I want to rent and then find find the right place and then buy. And they made it clear when the time comes, you work through us. And um, because in the wrestling business, moving around, you don't have, especially with a, with a, a purchase uh, uh, like you would need to to buy in Wilton, Connecticut. Um, you know, the credit might be an issue and they said that no, not a problem. I'd work through their bank and, uh, they would make everything happen, which, which they did. 
Now, Jim Ross has said it, and I know a lot of other people have said it as well. Connecticut is an overpriced hellhole. Do you <laughs> kind of agree with that? <laughs> well, everything in Wilt, like in the Wilton area, which was a nice, a small town and a really nice school district, everything was priced. Everything was zoned two acres to start with, and everything starting prices were in the. 200,000 range and up that was the bottom end and you're talking about maybe a home that wasn't even a, a brick home <laughs> and so it was like a different world up there that uh, the values of land and prices of homes were just were, were outrageous and so I, I wanted to wait and and of course I had uh, uh kids with uh, with Lindsay and and uh, had kids from my other marriage and that were going to be there and go to school and so I was very pleased with uh, that Wilton had such an excellent school system and it just every you know everything fell in place for me I ended up buying a house there and they made it possible for me to to make the purchase they say and you kind of said it before as well that so many people dream of working for the WWF and they want to work for Vince McMahon and there's more money in it. Was that really something on your mind that you're like, man, I always got to get there. I always want to work there. I always want to be a part of that. Or was that just one of those things where, like you said, it worked out perfectly, but really it is the best situation. Yeah. I, I, it wasn't like, um, of me wanting to get into a situation where, just everything in my whole career, my whole life has been something where things just fell in place for me. And I can be very flexible. Um, I, my needs are very simple. And I was, I wanted, Lindsay and I had been together and, and, and uh, wanting to get married. And we were there almost a year and uh, were married in Wilton. And ended up buying a, you know, we had rented a home. And when I told Vince I wanted to buy a home, he called Doug Sages, who's the chief financial officer, and he said, I, wanted, I was renting and wanted to buy. And of course, the prices were whatever they were. And he said, uh, I'm going to tell him to call you. And, you. and it was like Vince just said, whatever you got to do, make it happen. So it wasn't a question of, you know, how was I going to come up with a, with a sizable down payment that was necessary? It just, they made me feel very, very comfortable, which was, um, I mean, you could say, well, you know, you, you worked hard all your career and you, you, your reputation was something that you, you earned, but that's not a guarantee that, um, especially in this business that, um, that you're always going to be rewarded for that. But again, Vince was, was very very kind to me he really he really was and we we would uh we would be in the office uh monday through friday a shirt and tie and i would go to the garden sometimes and then i would go to tvs and then uh all of the creative was basically done at vince's home in greenwich on the weekends so it was really a seven day a week job and it was never I shouldn't say it, it worked out that way because it was like Friday afternoon. It would Pat would say to Vince, "Well, you know, 
well, you know, what do you, what do you want to do for the weekend? And they'd say, well, why don't you guys come by tomorrow? And, and it was a, that it was an informal thing. And we would go in the summer months and sit out by the, Vince had a, a pool adjacent to the home, beautiful home in Greenwich. And he had like a, a, a cabana uh, on the other side, away from the house around, uh, around the pool covered and he had a bank of phones out there and in the warm months that that's where we would work we would work out there and then when it got cooler which was not that long a period of time we would work in the house uh sitting in vince's uh, formal dining room and you know it would be it would be work it would work late hours and you know vince would just say well you know you have dinner with the family so Quite often, I would sit there, and Mary, the housekeeper, was an excellent cook, and I was just very comfortable there. Vince made me very comfortable, and um, I, I have real, real good thoughts about that period of time. I was there, like I say, almost seven years. As far as Vince and bringing you in, when you initially started talking, did he say anything about Crockett and killing the NWA or it dying off and Turner buying it? Were any of those conversations happening where he's kind of talking to you about your previous or going to be previous employer? Um, no, never asked any questions, made any comments. And my, my, my attitude was if who, whoever signs my check has a hundred percent of my loyalty, my attention, my work ethic and everything and I, even to the point that I didn't even watch the, the the Turner television show, I would occasionally see it and I would hear who was on and what they were doing. But I always wanted to look at, at the, the person I was working for, the talent that was, that was there under the roster, and what's the best thing that you can do for his business without ever getting in the situation where you you make decisions that are in reaction to what your quote unquote competition is doing. I that just I just never did that. As far as with Crockett and the NWA, did you foresee that happening kind of leading up? Like obviously you know you're the assistant broker, you're working backstage, you kinda of see them spending money like crazy, maybe buying a plane, then maybe buying two planes, you know, things like that. Did you kind of foresee, like, okay, this isn't going to go downhill? Uh, what happened was t- was Crockett sold to Turner, and that was the only time of, I don't even want to say anxiety, but uncertainty about what was going to happen. Because the Turner people did their due diligence, uh, lengthy interviews with everybody and especially you know at my level you know i was one of the last that they interviewed and it was really in-depth and uh i i had confidence in my own ability and confidence because i had worked for so many different promoters uh around the country and it's like if you're working for eddie graham in florida the uh, the type of television show he produced, the 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 attention to um, credibility of, of the champions of being legitimate, like like you know everything was built around like Jack Briscoe and uh, you had Hiro Matsuda there, and yet 
you know, it was different around Kansas City or, you know, like I never really worked Nashville full time. But, you know, it was crazy there compared to what Vince was doing in, or what Eddie was doing in Florida. So the term wrestling has a real broad range of, you know, if you say, well, what is wrestling? It's hard to explain what wrestling is. You could watch an hour of uh, championship wrestling from Florida and have one impression and then you could watch the Sheik's TV for an hour and have a whole, you know, different impression. And really, I I could adapt to either. Excuse me. And as far as Crockett and all that other stuff, did you think at that point, though, that, like, it was a sinking ship? It's almost like I'm glad I'm out of there when, when you kind of, like, look back at it? My analysis was pretty much, well, because uh, I had started full-time on the road when Jim Crockett Sr. was still alive. And at that point, it was it was uh, just the, the original Charlotte territory that was North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, Virginia, with uh, Joe Mernick up in Norfolk where they were partners. And then a few towns over in in West Virginia, and you know they, you know, cable television changed everything, and the, the uh, you know the players came down to uh, you know to, to very few that were had to be in a position to adapt and and promote um, on a national basis or on a global basis. And what was interesting about Crockett was, again, going back to Jim Sr., it would have been a family thing for several generations. And when they all of a sudden weren't just talking about the mid-Atlantic area being mainly Charlotte and South Carolina and Virginia, and now they're going, now they're talking about going global. And what I found was that that the Crockett's were, were very loyal to the people that were part of them. And most of the people that worked in the office were people that had been back with them from when Jim Sr. was alive. And I, it, it, it grew so big, so fast, the only thing I kind of had, and it wasn't a concern that I, that I verbally talked about with, uh, with anybody there, but it's like they, they became so big, so fast that they, did they have really have the infrastructure to be able to, uh, to adapt to, to, you know, basically being middle Atlantic area. Now we're global. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, all in all, they did well. And the people, there were great people there to work for and to work with. And, um, again, like I say, I was there seven years. Yeah, the thing is, it's crazy that uh, they went from kind of, like you said, the the mid-Atlantic area or, you know, the surrounding areas, and then they kind of go global, they go big, they start traveling all over the place. You know, they're flying here, they're flying there. It's just crazy that they did that. But it is perfect for you that you kind of did get out at the right time. You end up with Vince, you end up in the WWF, yeah. and you mentioned kind of you know meeting with vance and everything worked out as far as money wise you were good with was that 
a tough negotiation with Vince at all? Because, you know, you always hear things about Vince. You know, he's tough. He's this. He's very stern. It's his way or the highway. Is it one of those things where he's a tough guy to negotiate with? Or are you really technically not even negotiating with him to begin with? I, all my business was with him. And we talked first about just in general about what he was, you know, why he was bringing me in, not as an on-air talent. He, he he was growing, and he wanted somebody that 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 you know, I had a college education, and somebody that uh, like I had a reputation for my attention to detail, and and that that really is what they were looking for. And so I just again it was the right place, the right the right time for me, and. Uh, That, that you know that's pretty much it uh and, and of course uh crockett then sold out to turner and i already kind of knew because terry garvin had gone up to new york had mentioned that they had definitely had interest in me so whatever was going to happen with crockett selling to the turner people um if it was a radical change in everything or, or whatever, I, I already knew that I, you know, I was heading in, a, in another direction. And so I really, you know, wasn't concerned. Uh, we're going to work for Vince. Again, you know, here's the, at, at that point, as, a, as talent, that's where everybody eventually wanted to be. You know, wanted to be work work in Madison Square Garden every month. Mm-hmm. And yep. the, the thing about that territory was most of the other territories would have a major town. Even in Florida, um, Tampa was good, but Miami was the major town. Tampa was good. Jacksonville was good, but but Miami was the major town. Uh, Dallas, Dallas, and and Fort Worth were were, were the major towns. Uh, the territories all kind of had a major town and then other towns uh, in partnership with local promoters is because you needed to have guys working, uh, you know, six, seven days a week and being to be able to have them earn what they needed to be to make it attractive and for them to come in and to be able to make a commitment and stay there for a while. So when you start, really kind of in February of 89 and you're working your way through and you're kind of working backstage, any resentment from any of the guys, given that you're kind of a quote unquote Crockett guy or an NWA guy and you're coming in there and you get a pretty prominent role in a pretty prominent position, any resentment from the guys? Not that I was aware, but there was one little situation and (laughs) I had been very close to Andre the giant uh, when he was, uh, when I was in Amarillo, when I was in other territories and, and he was, he was barnstorming where he would come into a, depending on the size of the territory, anywhere from a week to, to three weeks. And invariably I would have him over to my home to cook a home cooked meal for him. And I, uh, you know, I thought that I had, you know, a really, a, a, a good relationship with him and, Vince was always up front. There was no like things going on behind and things said about. He was very upfront, which I 
I have great respect for him for that. But he told me that uh, it shocked a lot of people when I was hired to, to go to New York. And Andre was there at the time. And because my my background had been so closely associated with the National Wrestling Alliance territories, uh, Vince told me one day, he said, Andre came to him. And again, Andre would go to other territories, but like Vince is the one that booked him out. And he said, Andre came to him. He said, I just want you to know because we don't have any secrets around here. He said, Andre said, you know, you sure that you're, you know, you're good good with hiring this guy because he's 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 been so strongly associated with the with the with the nwa you have any reservations at all and ben said no i i'm very comfortable with hiring him and uh my whatever i contact i've had with him so far he's everything that i heard about him and and i'm i'm glad that we were we were able to get him vince then <coughs> excuse me made it a point to share that conversation with me about Andre. And he said, I just want you to know that Andre came to me and said, hey, you know, he's he's uh, he's one of those NWA guys. Are you sure that, that you know, that you want him here? And, and you know, we laughed about it. And uh, I don't know if Andre ever even knew that, that Vince shared that with me, but that's how Vince was. He, he, he didn't want behind the scenes maneuvering secrets that kind of thing you know and we just laughed about it and it, it it didn't affect my relationship with andre um because i i understood why andre andre said it because basically i had worked my whole career uh in the south and with uh the nwa and now i'm 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 in a different territory and even though i was born and raised in new jersey i was from really originally from that area um, but that's how Vince was. He was very, very open about everything and no secrets. And I never had a discussion with Andre and Vince told Andre, and this is what Vince told me. He said, no, I, you know, I know about his background and, you know, and I'm, I've looked him over and I have met him and very comfortable and he's everything that I've heard about him. And I want him for my uh, for his attention to detail and he's he's going to be an asset to my to my company and then and, and it was never mentioned again ever any issue with andre at all after that any conversations mm-hmm. where it seemed a little awkward or anything like that no no and i and i understood where andre was coming from because vince is the one that when he was basically vince's property and back in the territory days, Vince would book him out through Jim Barnett, you know, to come to uh, Calgary for a week or two weeks or be there for Stampede Week and a couple weeks here and a couple weeks there. So I, I understood, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Andre's unique situation. And, uh, you know, he just, and it wasn't because there was ever any attention with, uh, with Andre. Like I said, every territory that he ever came into uh, I want to make it a point to have him come to the house one day for for a meal, and he's you know appreciated that. As far as Vince and Andre and guys like that, 
ever any other kind of issues with any of the guys besides Andre? Like where, he, where maybe Vince would tell you something or maybe Vince is telling you that for a reason. It was, you know, was there any kind of any other issues as far as that? Not that I'm aware of. And, and I think the point that Vince was making was he didn't want anybody to have hidden agendas that nobody knew about or that that something would come come around where you would have to go back to Vince and say, Vince, I heard this. Oh, yeah, I wasn't going to mention it. Vince was very open and above board about everything. And like, you know, when Andre said something, I, I think Andre had been booked by Vince for so long and, and had done so well financially. And he just made a comment that, that because my whole career had been in the South, he, he just made a comment to Vince about, you know, that that's where he's been his whole career. You, you know, are you sure that this is what you wanted to do in hiring him? And there was no malice. There was no issue with Andre at the time. It just, just something was said, and Vince Vince's uh, policy was: we don't have any secrets. I'm, I'm, I want you to know. I don't want you to have an issue. Go back to Andre and say, "Hey, why did you say this?" I just want you to be aware that that conversation took place, and that's how it was handled. And I, I like that because that gives you a comfort level in dealing with somebody like Vince of knowing that that, that that's his policy. As, when you first started, you kind of were working backstage, agenting, but then you say you were the senior vice president of talent relations. What is the senior vice president of talent relations? That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> I was I I didn't have business cards, and I wasn't somebody that was into titles. And uh, you know where I started as a I started as a wrestler at almost twenty eight years old, full time. I was. It was, it was like February in Charlotte when I started, and that June I turned 28. So I wasn't a kid. And I then knew that that if that if I was going to have longevity in the interest in the industry, which is you know obviously what I wanted to, to do, that my days as, as a talent on air, on screen, were numbered because of, uh, of my age. I'm, I'm in my 40s already. So from day one, uh, I was interested in all facets of promotion. I wanted to know how the towns were scheduled. I wanted to know about how television was put together. Because when you're a, a an individual wrestler, you, you, you're worried about one person, and that's your career. And you often more often than not, don't focus on the big picture of how it's all put together. And doing a television show, uh, you have to have, you know, you, in other words, you wouldn't want to open up the, uh, on a two-hour show and have the first four segments be tag team matches. You break it up and styles of matches and the, 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 the various characters and so forth. So this was all part of of, of my learning curve to to uh, understand the big picture and to to be as uh, knowledgeable as as I could possibly be, so that I could be most effective. So, as far as talent relations, it does seem like you're well prepared to handle that job and do that job. So, mm -hmm. what does Vince tell you about it? Like, you're basically 
you're the liaison between himself and the talent. They got to go through you before they get to Vince. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, Hulk did all of his business with Vince. Uh, but everybody else, uh, you know, Vince, Vince would have had no time if, if he had an open door that, that nobody could do the business unless they did it with Vince. Uh, so he wanted people and Pat was a great example because Pat had been everywhere. He, he could talk to a talent and Pat had been a main eventer uh, for Shires. He'd been a main eventer in, in Minneapolis. And so Pat could, and like every time at WrestleMania, they would know, they would have the, the, uh, the main event match. And for a month prior to the actual WrestleMania event, Pat basically would take the two guys that were in the main event, they would find an obscure place somewhere uh, where they had access to a gym and a ring and they would fine tune that match over a period of a couple weeks. So there was nothing left to chance when the, when the WrestleMania event itself came. So it, there, there was a, um, there was a purpose in everything that was done. And Pat was, was to me, the, the, you know, the brightest guy that I have ever worked with in my career because he had done it all. He'd been a main eventer, like I say, every place he'd ever been. Um, and yet he was respected by talent. He could set up matches. He could do everything. And um, just, uh, God, one of, the, one of the true, true greats in, in our industry. What did you think about Hogan going directly to Vince, talking with Vince? Was that anything where you were like, ah, you know, maybe he should come to me? Or you knew he had such prestige and he was so high in the card that maybe just going to Vince? Or maybe is that even an edict from Vince that, hey, anybody else goes to you, Hogan comes right to me? No, it just was un understood. It was, And it wasn't like laid out. Well, this is how it is. Just that, and I, and I got a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of direction from Pat. Pat was extremely helpful to me. And it was it was clear right away that that anything that uh, uh, that that Vince had, w Hulk would go direct to Vince. And a lot of times, uh, at, at talent wouldn't have Vin see Vince or be accessible to Vince unless it was at the Garden or at at TV. And so there was always a waiting list of guys that wanted to see Vince. A multitude of issues and so you would manage that in terms of setting up time and you know and say Vince this one this guy this guy this guy wants to uh, wants to talk to you and it it just was a very informal system that, that worked out well and um, it was never a question we'll find out what and what they want to talk what he wants to talk to me about um, it, it just it it just worked out. I, I, as I look back and think about it, I don't know. It, it just I know that the only one who could go direct events uh, was Hulk. Seems like that is such a crazy job. As just far as like 
managing and dealing with the talent. I don't think people realize that how many wrestlers were in the WBF at that point or how many issues pop up or money pops up or, you know, the, the house was down, what was this, or the house was up, or, you know, all these different things that could arise and it could pop up. How many of them, you know, wanted to speak to Vince on a daily basis? Because it seemed like he, not only would you be inundated just with these requests, but it seems like Vince is it, almost like too busy to be dealing with everybody, but it seems like everybody's got problems, issues, and questions. Yeah, and you, uh, you know, you would screen a lot of things. So you, you want to talk to Vince, you know, uh, is there a problem, you know, is what's going on? Well, something about something, you know, about, or um, there was also a situation where certain guys got rental cars paid for. And you couldn't have a blanket thing that everybody got it. So um, it was like something that you had to be of a certain level and a certain status to even consider for that to happen. And I was involved more with with things like that, finding out what what problems there were, what was going on. And um, so that Vince didn't have to handle every little detail. And if, if it, you, just through experience, you know whether this is something that that uh, you know this guy is not going to be satisfied until, even if it's a five minute conversation with Vince to to put his mind at ease or whatever. And and I could tell Vince, you know, that the, I've talked to him and worked out this, worked out that, but he just he just wants five minutes with you. Whether it's just uh, some of them just. I, I think it had to do a lot of times with um, them f- feeling that they were important enough that Vince could give them five minutes, if that makes any sense. Yeah, almost like uh, an insecurity thing, like, oh, he's, I'm yep. not important, but if you give him, oh, I must be important, Vince is going to give me the time. Or, you yeah. know, they, they don't even but, think like but, oh, that's a crazy But at the, same, at the same time, you're, uh, you're having to filter out and, you know, and be able to tell Vince, you know, I, I, I talked to this guy, worked at this, did this for him, but he's, you know, um, and so every now and then it's like, it's something where it's just for peace of mind to know that they were important enough to get five minutes with Vince. Definitely. And I feel like rental cars, hotels, low ball on pay, all this other stuff could be looked at as very bad and very negative. Were you like the heel, if you will, like the, the the villain, you know, Vince is good cop, you're bad cop? Was that the way you guys kind of handled it? Um, probably to, to a degree. Um, I did payroll. And it was done by towns. And you pretty well know by by a card who who drew what and i could watch the pay sheets from prior events and pretty well figure a pattern of what vince's thinking was and i could take uh a show and and obviously if you uh if you run white planes and you got a $20,000 house well 
there's only so much money and you're going to pay a higher percentage. The general rule I think was like talent would get like 25% of whatever the, 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 the grosser net was. And smaller houses had to be a greater percentage just because you needed to make the guys weak so that the, the pay at the end of the week, uh, you know, kept peace and harmony in the, in the crew. And the bigger the houses, like the garden, the smaller the percentage was. The guys hmm. got great, great payoffs, but percentage of what the gross was because of the size of the of the of the venue and and the size of the of the pay that the office was getting was a lower. So you couldn't go just by a always a a, a percentage. You had a percentage for most of the places that you would go by, and sometimes if a house didn't do do well. You had to throw that theory out the window and give the guys a, a decent payday, even if uh, if the office didn't make much money on on a given town. It, it, being a talent was the biggest uh, thing for me, experience-wise, to enable me to do do the job the way Vince wanted. And uh, you know, every now and then, um, it, it's funny. It was like. I remember once with Randy Savage, it was, and, and I would do the pay-per-views too. And there was a pay-per-view that Randy was one of the feature matches. And I remember <laughs> that in doing the payroll, I, I just, I just giving you examples. I, I put down for Randy a payoff of like $15,000 and I would do a preliminary payroll, which Vince would look it over. Sometimes he would just, okay, and other times he would look at it. And in that one particular case, <laughs> he took the 15000 that I'd given Randy because I thought that, that he was an important part of drawing in that house. And I think Vince cut it down to 10 So when the checks come out, Randy got the 10 He was really upset <laughs> and mm. wants to talk to Vince, goes to see Vince, and it's like Vince would say, well, I, uh, I, I, I didn't really look at, I don't know what JJ was thinking when he put that down. I can understand <laughs> the truth. He'd say, I, you know, I, I, so I, it was, I was always the, yeah. So Vince would look at it and he would, uh, and he would end up giving him, you know, he would tell me to write Randy a check for another 5000 So here was a house that I looked at, and I thought that Randy should get fifteen grand. I put fifteen uh, on the preliminary thing that went to Vince. Vince cut it, <laughs> lined through 15 and put 10. Randy went screaming to Vince. Vince, Vince turned and said, give Randy 5000 more. Back to the fifteen that I'd originally put down. But uh, That's great. You know, it was like, well, I don't know what JJ was thinking. So uh, <laughs> it just is how it was. And it, I did, I never took it personal. It was just the way the system was. And Vince was the final say in everything. And it, never, it would never even cross my mind to say, well, Randy, you know, I put you down 15 originally myself. And then Vince got it to 10. No, you, you, you can't, you, that's a no win situation when you, when you start thinking that way or, 
or manage your position in that way. It was like I put down 15, Vince reduced it to 10, Randy went screaming to Vince. Vince says, I don't know what J.J. was thinking. I'll take a second look at it, talk to J.J., give him another 5000 So I'm not going to go to Randy and say, well, Randy, I originally had you down for 15 anyway, but Vince cut it to 10. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I'm always going to be the – Vince could never, never take the fault for anything that wasn't good and took credit for everything that was good. It just was how the system – and that was my job, and I was able to do it and – Never lose sleep over it or never – it just I, – I'm not patting myself on the back, but I – at that role, I just was good at it. <laughs> Vince ever, like, wink at you, you know, like, hey, you know, Randy maybe don't look and wink at you, like, yeah, JJ said uh, whatever, that it was less. So, you know, kind of blaming you but kind of winking at you, telling you, obviously, you know, uh, it, it's, it's really him changing it on the guys. No, it wasn't that when there was never any game where like if if the sheet came out, I put down 15, Vince cut it to 10, Randy screams at Vince, Vince meets with him and okay, he'll have me write him another check for five. The whole system would have tore down if I had gone to Randy and said, well, Randy, I originally had you down for that, but Vince cut it. Well, like I say, it's back to Vince is going to take credit for everything that's good, and I'm going to and never takes the heat for anything that isn't. And that's I'm the I'm the heat seeking missile <laughs> in that job, and I understand that, and it's not personal; it's just business. And I I think that's why I survived as long as long as I did did in the industry. It was like an understood thing that Vince gets the credit and you get the blame. Yeah. And don't take it personal. That is kind of a tough job if you think about it because yep. the guys sometimes are going to get mad at you. I mean, yep. obviously, sometimes they're going to be happy with you, but they're going to get mad at you a lot. And it's a job that, that I don't think that everybody can do. And, and, and I'm fortunate that I had, the, uh, I had the confidence in my own ability and I had the ability because I had been a talent. That was another factor. I'd been a talent for many, many years in big territories, small territories, worked on top. And so I understood the structure of the business and was able to adapt working, working for Vince. And I knew that under no circumstances was Vince going to take the heat for anything. That's what he's paying me for. And if talent gets mad at me, And this is going to affect my job security because I'm doing what Vince wants me to do. And I keep my mouth shut. Makes perfect sense. And, and, thing and, about- and the thing is, you, you, it's not a perfect thing because I could do, uh, like, if, let's say a, a house that same size. If I put down 15, Vince cuts it to 10, Randy screams at Vince, Vince comes back and does 15. Um, it's it's not a perfect thing, and I and I was right with what Vince's thinking was more often than not. A lot of times he would just initial it and I and then just scan over it, and, and other times it was like he would make a change 
just because, and it wasn't to make a point to me, but, but just, he had the power to do it. And it's, and, and, and it's like when something like that happened, I would never go to Randy and say, Randy, you know, I already had you down for 15 initially and Vince scratched it and put 10 and now you went to him and you get five more. Randy got his money and there's no way that I'm ever going to go to Randy. I'm going to let Randy be up, be, be mad at me for figuring that I tried to, to uh, compensate him less than what he deserved and the fact that he went to Vince and 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 I can't tell Randy. Randy, I put you down for fifteen initially. Vince cut it hmm. to ten. You hmm. went to Vince, and Vince took a second look at it and said, "Okay, give him five more." So, in other words, Vince is always going to take the credit for everything that's good, and he's never going to have any heat on him for anything that's not. That's why I'm there. Yep. And another guy that was there around that time, which is crazy to think about it, but the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, is in the WWF at that point. Were you shocked when that happened? Um, no, no. And there, I, there was one thing I'm trying to—I don't even remember what it was, what it was about. That because when I was in Florida, basically I reported to Dusty. At, uh, for a period of time and now I'm working for Vince Vince brings Dusty in and um, I don't remember the specifics of what it was but it ended up with a meeting with Vince Dusty and myself with Dusty had an issue about something and Dusty kind of threw it out there well you know he worked for me, you know, and boy, Vince jumped on that with both feet and said, you know, basically kind of put Dusty in his place in that one situation and said, uh, I mean, he was behind me 100% and Dusty then backed off. And that only happened that one time, I think. So it wasn't, it wasn't like Vince, uh, I know I have no to be there for seven years. It's it's a business that is unique and unlike anything else. And my experience in the business at all levels and my temperament, my personality allowed me to be able to work in that role and be able to go home at the end of the day and be able to leave it, leave it at the office and, and not take anything personal or, and because of that, I, like I say, I kept the job for, for seven years, went to work for Turner and was there for seven years. Same thing. So it was, I guess my temperament suited me for that job, uh, which meant I had to go with the flow, good times and bad times. And I guess I managed to always, uh, Always uh, have job security. And I think that is the perfect kind of stopping point and ending point. And as far as plugs and stuff, let's just first kind of find out where you're going to be in the upcoming weeks. Because I know you got a lot of stuff coming up as far as personal appearances. I have a few. <laughs> Hold on a minute. 
JJ is keeping himself very, very busy these days. You you really are kind of uh, all over the place. Uh, traveling. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't have an agent. Never have. Don't solicit personal appearances, and they kind of you know have a tendency to 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 go in bunches. And it gets towards the end of the year. Things you know typically uh, <clears throat> typically slow down. And I'm just trying to think. I, uh, I work, work quite a bit with Charlie Armstrong here mm-hmm. like, yep. in New Jersey and, uh, and around Philadelphia. And uh, I uh, was in St. Louis uh, for, for Herb Simmons. I uh, had a chance to be there with Arn and Barry. And St. Louis is such a great town. And Herb does, he's been promoting there for like 40 years, just does an absolute great job. Did a seminar with Barry. Um, oh, let's see. I, I got Tampa coming up, FanFest in Tampa. And I want to uh, be in order. And which this would air probably that, that day. So uh, I'll be at the FanFest in Tampa. And then uh, Sunday the 10th, uh, I will be over. Uh, and an appearance in Orlando during the day, and I, I don't have a lot of details. They just told me when they would get there, somebody would fill me in and and uh, and tell me whatever it was I needed to know. And other than that, that's pretty well going to uh, eat up eat up the year. Uh, uh, Charlie Armstrong has uh, got tickets for the Philadelphia Eagles and Patriots game on Sunday, the seventeenth, and I haven't been to an NFL game and. I don't know. I, I'm sure I've been to one somewhere, but he got tickets, and uh, I'm going to be his guest, and very much looking forward to that. But that pretty well is going to uh, to eat up the uh, the end of the year, and um, you know, lo- looking into. And I, I do have something coming up in Philly, even that I that Charlie got that I didn't even write down what what uh, when the show is in Philly, but it's sometime uh, November 23rd. It'll be, it'll be at the old uh, ECW arena in Philly. There we go. I'm going to write that yep. down. Thank you. Very good. You should handle yep. my bookings for me. Yeah. All right. Very good. Yeah. Looking forward to that. And I uh, I really, really enjoy working for Charlie. He, uh, you know, which I'm not high maintenance anyway, but he really, really, it really treats me well. So, I, and I, you know, that that would pretty much be it. And, I, and I'm looking forward to it. And then, uh We'll all of a sudden be into the into the new year. I know that I've got a date with uh, with uh, Charlie uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina, at the end of January, and then we're already ahead into uh, um, into March. Uh, I've got a date in uh, Circleville, Ohio, in, in March on the 14th, and then uh, there's a show in Rome, Georgia, on April 25th. It's a rescheduled event, and and I'm sure there'll be others added to it in between. So I. I would not want to work every weekend and I'm thankful for when it does come along and it just uh, seems to work out well just enough to and I I, I like it because it, it uh, you get into the local arena and you get to, to keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the business I get to see uh, a lot of the local guys and watch them uh, grow and develop and uh, that's where most of the people, myself included, started, whether it's in a high school or a, uh, a National Guard armory or something, a much smaller venue. 
where the, the fans are, are, are closer to you. Um, I never, never get tired of that. I mean, you know, it's nice to go to the big arenas, but uh, I like to get out and, you know, where I'm accessible with the people. And, of course, some other plugs here. Go to ProWrestlingTees.com. There is a new J.J. Dillon store there. So that is ProWrestlingTees.com slash J.J. Dillon. Please check out the Patreon page where that has been set up where you can become a patron and support the show. Go to TMPTEmpire.com. And while you're there, check on the little arrow and you'll see a little link there for J.J. Dillon. In this podcast, and on that link, you'll see a direction, and it will send you to a jjdillon.com where you can buy JJ's book, Wrestlers Are Like Seagulls from McMahon to McMahon. Also, in that portal, you'll see an email set up, which is a jjdillonpodcast at gmail.com. Send all your questions, comments, concerns, anything you want, maybe even some bookings. Send yeah, our way, uh, jjdillonpodcast at gmail.com. That's very important to me, and I appreciate that anyone that takes the time to, uh, to send an email, and I am open to constructive criticism. If you if you follow and you and you, there's something that you think that we could be doing to to improve it or make it better, you know, speak up. And if, even if you know a lot of people come up and say how much they enjoy the show, and one thing that uh, that I'm very proud of is they'll come to me, uh, uh, John, and they'll say, well. You know, I, I like listening to your podcast because I never hear any profanity out of you. And mm. I said, well, when I'm at home, I don't use profanity at home, so it would be uh, out of character for me to do it on the air. And also the other thing they say, well, a lot of uh, podcasts we listen to, uh, uh, somebody's mad at somebody. And, and I said, well, that's another thing. I... I, I don't have any axe to grind, and, and I think if I was doing the podcast just as a way of having a, a an avenue to, uh, uh, to to throw shots out at people that I'm made they're mad at or disgruntled about, maybe it's because I don't get mad and I'm not disgruntled. I, I'm very happy with life and how I'm treated, and uh, uh, excited that the people come out and. And tell me that they enjoy conversing with me and meeting me. And uh, so life is good. Life is very good. But uh, and if there's something that, uh, you know, that we could do, uh, maybe a topic. If there's, you know, if you're from a certain area and you know that I worked there early in my career and and have a comment and, you know, mention it. And um, that gives us uh, some I'd rather answer somebody's question or somebody's comment. Uh, you know, we manage each week, uh, and I never, we never have, uh, with John and I, we talked about two minutes before we went on air and it's like, okay, we're, we're going to wing it. Um, I don't, uh, I, I don't want, uh, a list of things at the beginning that, that we're going to, he may just say, well, we're going to, we're going to talk about Luger or this. And then that sometimes that just is something to get us started. And, and all of a sudden the show's done. And I thought, well, you know, what do we actually talk about? <laughs> I, <laughs> but I, this, this is your show. This is not for me. So I, I want to hear your comments. Take your time. Say, you know, we'd like to hear more of this or less of that. And, uh, if you give us some direction, we're, we're, I look at it as constructive criticism. And if there's something that I can do to be better at this, uh, 
I want to hear from you. So appreciate that you take the time to do so. And, uh, and I, I appreciate that uh, John's with me every week because uh, he, de- he does a great job of, uh, of kind of corralling me and, and uh, keeping me headed in the right direction. And I, I really thoroughly enjoyed this show. Uh, I've had uh, a wonderful career and there's a lot to talk about, but I want to talk about the things that you want me to talk about. So put those questions in or comments in. And we appreciate that you take the time to to express uh, how you feel. Well said. And, of course, you could also follow the show at 2AM Power Trip on Twitter. And, J.J., every week here, Saturday, 6.05 p.m., a time that you are very, very familiar with. The fans can listen to J.J., the J.J. Dillon Podcast. Thank you, and we'll see you next week, folks. This podcast was a presentation of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcast empire.